Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. And now, here is your host, the lovely, delightful, insightful, and all-around great gal, Ms. Barbara DeLong. Evening, everybody, and again, my thanks to Ken Quiet Hawk for that amazing intro. You can find him and his wife at nativestorytailors.com, and they are an adventure within themselves. Want to welcome everybody to tonight's show. This is going to be a super show. I am so excited. We are going to be talking to Hillary Ramo. And she has a unique combination of life experiences that qualify her as an expert in following one's dreams. With a background in business psychology, real estate, and insurance, she's bridged the healing arts throughout her traditional training. As a Reiki master in two modalities, a non-denominational ordained minister, author of three books, and longtime well-known alternative media radio host, she is also an award-winning photographer and artist. As her love for the creative process expanded over her years on the air, Hillary guided, mentored, and coached new radio voices as she helped people seeking to birth their voices and viewpoints into the world. She's led groups to Egypt and Sedona, as well as traveled the world photographing landscapes, her favorite being the old growth forests in Ireland and British Columbia. And her book, The Hillary Ramo Show Transcripts, is a collection of timeless interviews that will not only open your mind, but it'll blow it as well. They are phenomenal. Um, it's a phenomenal collection of information that, again, is timeless and applies to all of us. And it truly boggled my mind that she was able to, you know, pull them together and make it as cohesive as she did. Welcome to the show, Hillary. Hi, Barbara. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, your book was, was such an exciting adventure for me. Um, I just, how did you, I mean, you've, you've interviewed billions of people. How did you, you know, pull it all down to 20 well, that was not an easy job, let me tell you. It took me about a year to write this book. 
I had over 700 hours of airtime, 13 years of uh, being on the air. I started in terrestrial radio in upstate New York on AM talk radio, eventually moved into online radio and have been with Achieve since 2008. Um, Going through all of my material and trying to decide how to put this book together was a great big deal. (laughs) It took me a long time. To go through my content, organize my content, you know, because let's admit it, in the digital age, it's it's about keeping your files organized and, and all of this technical stuff, which is not necessarily my forte. But once I got all the material organized and went through everything, I had made the decision of making the intention of this book be about coming together with information that would have a hindsight value Uh, with what we're dealing with today on the collective platform. A lot of people are talking about very specific topics, struggling struggling with things and finding challenges along the way. And I felt like these topics had relevancy to what we're facing today. So I brought them forward again in print this time for readers to be able to go through the material slower, uh, digest the material a little bit better instead of listening to live radio because let's face it, when we're listening to live radio, we're listening to live radio. We're not, we may miss something or, you know, we're trying to keep up with the host and the guest and the conversation, the back and forth. It's, it's a very different experience than it is to read it and print and be able to stop and, and maybe go research something and come back to it or even just digest it because I'll be the first to admit there's a lot of really big information in this book. I cover a lot of topics over the years, and there was never really one one specific angle of my show. I really tried to follow what was going on um, in the headlines and the current news and, and tried to keep it relevant for people. But I also wanted to bring forward alternative information because at the time, you know, early, mid to late 2000s, we're looking at a progression or an evolution of information and alternative media had become very big and we had tons and tons of listeners, millions of listeners, not just myself, but other hosts as well on different platforms was really well received by people because mainstream media had become so, oh gosh, I don't know what's the word. It's just one big production and there's just a message that was always feeling like it was being shoved down your throat to believe. And when Mm -hmm. alternative media was born, certainly not in the 2000s, alternative media goes back to the 60s and 70s. There's plenty of people who've been doing this kind of work for a long time. But it seemed to catch on in the digital age with the internet and all of that. And so picking these 20 conversations, really, I wanted to honor the journey, I wanted to honor the time, and I wanted to make it really a time capsule, if you will, of information that you can pick up and go through at any point and have some kind of aha moment, hopefully, as you're reading through the different topics in the book. So I hope I did a good job of picking the different conversations, at least the reader feedback so far has been fantastic, but also the order in which they're presented tells a story and a progression of something important, and I'm going to leave that to the readers to see for themselves. Um, it, it absolutely does. And, I, I mean, you've covered everything from 9-11 to past lives to remote viewing to BitCom to, I mean, you, you've hit it all. And what, what, is, what is really fabulous about your book that I, that I have not seen in other books, so it's probably there, but you made it obvious. Um, 
because these are transcripts of shows, you ask the author, you know, what is your, what is your website? And in, in every, every one of these um, interviews that I read, I went immediately to that website to, to see if it was there, to see if the material was there, to see if it was up to date, to see, and 99% of them are. And it's so exciting to, to you, you get a flavor of something and you want to go further. And I have to admit, I put your book down a lot to go read at the websites of the people that you were talking to. And a lot of the names I recognized, a lot of the philosophies I recognized. And so it, it, it was, it was a very comfortable read for me, but I would imagine anybody could pick up this book. It's not, it's not a highly techie book and it's not a mushy spiritual book. You've, you've done a beautiful job of, of staying center line and in many places, you bring out the, my philosophy that creativity is so very important to to growing, to expanding, to opening portals to to levels of understanding within ourselves. But you've done it in a way that that anybody can read and go, oh yeah, that's true. Instead of oh God, did she really go there? <laughs> and <laughs> and it's it, it's it's really. Um, your interviews are just phenomenal. I, I had such a lot of fun with them because every with with every author I, I I interview, with every book I read, there's a different flavor to the information, and it comes out in a different perspective. And it's so cool because because everybody's so individual, our our perspectives are so different that it takes something like your book to hit everybody, to make sure everybody is getting something of worth and value. And if the message doesn't come across in one way, it comes across on another level in another way. Yeah, this book is really something you can put down and go back to. And that makes me very happy that you put it down to go look up the websites and dig a little further and and uh, because that's what I really hope to ignite in people is a curiosity. And if I can ignite that curiosity, then I've done something well. That's how I see it. Because over the years as a radio host, one of my interests, you know, I, I would choose my guests, and I was doing all the behind-the-scenes work for myself. I had a producer that she ready, of course. But it was always me who, you know, wherever my interest was, also at the time was where who I wanted to talk to. So what was great about my run was that I got the chance to talk to whoever I really wanted to talk to. So whatever was going on and I would find something on, online or, you know, find my way to something or someone would recommend something and I would check it out and if it resonated with me, then I would do a show on it. And that was always a great feeling of having that really in depth, connected conversation once a week on the air for my listeners who, who really just were very loyal and faithful and would come on every week and listen and enjoy and give feedback. And it was a fantastic feeling. But what I really felt like was this was almost like a spiritual journey for me for 13 years to go through and have a, have a conversation once a week with somebody on a different topics, you know, sometimes for a year or so, or maybe more, I would do specific topics. Like there was a couple of years I did UFO shows. There was a couple of years I did alternative health shows. And then, you know, we weave stuff in between. 
Um, but it was always something that was relevant, and I really did try to bring that to my platform to be able to be of service in helping to get information out. So it's always been a very important thing for me. Um, I don't know. I, I just get very excited about it. I got the idea to write this book in 2017 on the summer solstice. I was photographing the world's largest mineral collection to scale. Uh, it's a private collection, and they're in the process of putting it together for a museum. And I was invited to come and visit and, and photograph and, and experience and feel. And I was sitting with this crystal that was about a car-sized quartz crystal. Oh it's just the most amazing <laughs> thing. All of these specimens in there were, were very large specimens for what they were. And uh, I remember putting my hands down on the crystal and, and leaning forward and having my forehead just a few inches off of it. And it just came to me right away that it was just in images, really. It wasn't like this profound voice or anything, but it was images of going through radio shows and compiling uh, conversations that were impactful. That's pretty mm -hmm. much the message in a nutshell. <laughs> so I, I, I left, I finished, I was, I was there for a few hours and, and just really absorbed the experience and went back to New York and said to myself, gosh, you know, I really have to do this and started to realize just how much work it was going to be. But it, it all came to fruition and the team came together to help me do it and everything landed right. And now it's, um, now it's being very well received, which is fantastic for me as well, because that just makes it that much more of a happy thing for me. <laughs> oh, and it is, it's, it's an amazingly delightful book to read. And it, it, you know, you mentioned something that, that somebody said to me a long time ago, and I've really paid attention to, um, I was talking to a shaman and um, they said, you know, you should be doing this work full time. You should be teaching. You should be doing whatever and ever. You know, I said, well, when I feel like I've arrived somewhere, I'll turn around. And if there's a crowd, I'll share it. And he jumped on me so hard, not physically. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. It isn't that you arrive. That is your teaching tool. It is the journey. Mm. And and so so. I'm very aware, as as are you, I guess, that that when we do, when when you talk to someone else about a topic and other people are listening as well, it's your way of teaching without actually sitting in the classroom. And uh, I sat in the classroom for 25 years. That's not fun. So, you know, it, it's a way for people to actually learn without being taught. They absorb yeah, it. I agree they, with that. I agree. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I, if you go through each chapter, the person that I'm interviewing really is the one presenting the information. I'm uh -huh. just asking good questions. And so what's unique is you get that different perspective in each chapter by having a different, whole different conversation, whole different topic in each of these 20 conversations. And, and I would weave in, you know, some of the spiritual stuff with some of the heavy te technology stuff and some of the whistleblower stuff and so that way people aren't feeling slimed by the time they're, in, they're done with my book and, oh, my gosh, the world is cracked open. But that's how I did my show. You know, this, this book is 13 years of my life. It's, it's over a decade of my life. It's my body of work. It's, my, it's just what I've done. And, you know, it was a closing chapter for me as well because I've moved into the art world and I, I really love what I'm doing now and it's fantastic. But the radio compilation 
of sorts over this past year has really kind of brought me back to radio in a way. Now I'm, I'm a guest on shows and I get to talk and, <laughs> and I really love it. I love it much more than hosting, believe it or not. So I have to commend all of you who are hosts and hostesses because it's a lot of work and people don't really realize how much is involved. It's not just like you need a computer and microphone and everybody can do a show. Um, (laughs) I got into it when you actually had to do proposals and you had to present an idea and you had to get approved for that through the network. And even alternative media had people who, you know, you have to present an idea. You have to have a very concrete idea of what you wanted to do for a show and you would either get the yes or no. So, you know, now I think it's a little more easier for people, which is good, but I think we also have a lot more censorship that we're dealing with, and hopefully we'll get into that tonight as well, because I have felt very strongly that my book opens up a lot of questions, a lot oh, more yeah. questions. <laughs> so if, you, if you're reading it and you're going through it and it, you suddenly start to have all of these ideas pop into your head, that's exactly what would happen when we were talking. I never scripted any of my shows. My shows were always done organically. So whatever uh-huh. happened with the author, whatever the author would show up or the researcher or whoever I was interviewing at the time, whatever they were willing to show up and talk about, you know, I could get a gist of, and then I would ask the questions accordingly. And I never really stuck to, to their, their publicist questions or anything like that, because I wanted, I didn't want to have a carbon copy show that everybody else had. I wanted to get inside of a person and, and really find out who they are, what makes them tick and how that, how their journey was to getting to where they are now and why and all of that good stuff. So I hope it made for good shows. I think it did, but it, it really was done in that formula. So I've enjoyed my fun. Well, a fun thing would be to put them up on YouTube too, your interviews. I know well, you I have. have a, you... I did have a radio show. I did have a radio channel on YouTube for a long time. But see, what happened is somebody stole all my work and put a, put it on their channel. And oh. Their channel had a lot more subscribers, a lot more views, a lot more everything. So what would happen when I would Google my name on YouTube is all of their programs would come up, and I ended up be competing with myself with my own videos on my own channel, (laughs) with my own videos on someone else's channel. And YouTube was really just not, it was just such a uncooperative platform to be able to fix that. So content ownership became a really big topic over a few years when, when you had some people who were creating fake channels and official fake channels, and that never happened to me, but my, my um, files were certainly taken without permission. Wow. And so people mostly don't notice or don't know that when that happens, the person who's creating the content, the originator, doesn't get paid for their material. It's kind of like, you know, it's the same thing with music leases and, and you know, movie rights and all that stuff. It's like the artist loses money because you aren't supporting the real artist. You're supporting someone who's taken that artist's material and they get all the money. And, and the more views and the more subscribers that you have on YouTube means the more you, the more reach you have the more money you make. And some people can make quite a bit of money on YouTube. I mean, we're talking quite a bit of money. And so when you, when you deal with that, it's very difficult to overcome that. So what ended up happening is my channels didn't get as much traffic because of this. So what I did was I took most of them off. I I took most of them down, but then I slowly have, you know, started to put some back up, uh, especially my interviews, especially recently. But, um, that that was my sad story, and then what ends up what ends up with that is you really just you can't, it can't be about the 
message for me, Barbara, has been it's not about money. This is not about money. This is not about whether I sell five books or five million books. You know, I didn't go through a traditional publishing house. I could have, but I didn't. I started my own. And the Mm -hmm. reason I did that was because I didn't want to lose the rights to my material or my content. I didn't want to get paid a dollar a copy. I needed to make a little bit more money because it's expensive to put together. So, you know, that said, the business side of it is what we, a lot of people don't talk about, don't want to know about, you know, you you have to depend on your, your friends and family and platforms (laughs) to buy the book. Right. And then if your sales aren't that great, then you lose your publicist, you lose this, you lose that. And you you just, you know, off you go into the bargain bin. And I didn't want to take that journey. I don't want my book to be about that. What I, how I see my book is, Whoever's hands it finds itself into from here on out, it's meant to find its way to. So mm-hmm. whoever finds their way to this book is, is really almost like a, a portal of sorts. I, I love that. It's, you know, you're meant to read the book when you pick that book up. And for some reason, that information is meant to find its way to you. So that makes me sleep well at night. And then it's not about my royalty checks or how much money I'm making or not making. And, I, and that's been a spiritual message for me. <laughs> well, I, you know, the whole journey is is a spiritual one for sure, and um, I I feel the same way about it. Um, my the deck of cards I created is is out of print, and yet now there's a huge demand for them, and people keep saying, "Well, why don't you have them printed again?" And and uh, I I um, the, the, while well, the publisher said he would print them for me, I had to cough up eighteen thousand dollars, and and then I had to store three thousand decks of cards. And I, I just my my theory is, you know what? If people are meant to have the deck of cards, they'll find it, and it'll come to them. The graphics mm-hmm. are on my website; they can always print the graphics out and make their own deck. Um, there are lots of ways that if this is a deck that you really want to be working with, that you can make it happen. And, and I think that's more important. I think that um, it, it to me is more important that somebody struggles to find something than if they can just pick it up, buy it and then walk away. So, you know, you and I don't do typical work in the world. Your, your website is fantastic. And so when people find their way to your website, they're finding their way to an amazing amount of material. And I feel the same way. And I think people who do, who do do spiritual work in the world, one way or the other, I have, a, I have a very interesting background. Like you said, you know, I have a business background, but I also have a healing arts background. So while I was uh-huh. doing business and real estate and insurance and all of that nine to five stuff, I was also being certified in healing arts and, and had a very successful practice and taught students Reiki and all of that. So it was very balanced for me. I felt I had the doing and the being going, the male, female energies were very balanced for me. Um, but I think when we have that path, it, it, it just puts everything, everything into a different perspective. You know, if you don't, well, if you're not working on a spiritual path, then things aren't the same as if you are. And it doesn't even matter what you're learning or what you're doing. It's, we're so beyond labels at this point. We're so beyond, uh, you know, needing a teacher even, I feel. Because I think oh, what, yeah. what's happened is we've evolved to the point where we can actually be our own teacher, our own sage, our own, you know, our own wise person and we can find a lot of answers in our own stillness and meditation and that sort. And then we can share that with other people in a different way now versus 
having to be the student all the time or having to be the neophyte and, and sitting on your knees and waiting for, you know, the <laughs> approval or the acknowledgement from your teacher, we, we need some other kind of model. Anyway, you're going to get me on a rant here. Because <laughs> no, no, I, I feel I'll, very I'll step on the soapbox. <laughs> you know, I'll step right on the soapbox with you. I, I totally agree. I, I tell people that, that you know, it, somebody once said, what do your followers think of, of what you're doing? And, and I looked at them and I said, if anyone's following me, they're out of their mind because I don't know where I'm going. Um, well, can and, I say and, something to that? Can I say sure. something to that, please? I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but it is so important because nowadays followers and likes and, and things of that sort, we're being very conditioned to be a, a race of people that are validated by social validation. And we have mm-hmm. to be really careful not to fall into that trap. And it really is a trap. And, and it has to do with a whole way of, of just manipulating energy and all of that. And the good news is that you can get out of that, but you have to learn how to get out of that, or you have to wake up to the reality that it's even happening. And there's a lot of chapters in my book that speak to that in different ways. But one of the most important ones is the first one with David Icke, who I had the pleasure of interviewing four times early on in my radio career. And he does a lot of speaking about some very awful things going on in the world, lots of manipulative things, but he also does some talking about the higher spiritual aspects of of reality and how we can use those in order to overcome challenges and sorts. So I don't know. I think we need to keep that all in check. What do you think? Oh, oh yeah. And, and I think it, you know, it takes courage to, to carve your own pathway and not follow another's. And lots of times people do, do this wobble of, well, is this my ego? Or is this my journey? Is this my purpose? Is this my whatever? And, and basically I tell them, if you are joyful, not, not, not wallowing, but joyful and blissful, then you're on the right path. And I I know the, the, um, the, the best description I have for people is that, that being on a spiritual pathway doesn't mean you step out of your physical reality. It means that you enrich your spiritual reality by another perspective. And that takes you from a black and white world to a technicolor world. And it absolutely does. It enhances everything inside of you. And it's, it's the, the most important part of it is anybody can read the books and memorize phrases and passages Anybody can do that. But if you take information in and make it your own and then live that philosophy, then you've got something. But just having the knowledge I mean, in your I head doesn't people, get you there. Yeah. No, I mean, it, we, we can't dismiss completely the idea that knowledge and, and our elders and people have different life experience. So, you know, sometimes we have to know when to listen. And one of the things I learned over the years of being on the air was how to listen. Uh-huh. And the listening aspect is so important these days, because if you're not listening to what's going on around you, then you're, then you're kind of self-absorbed and you're just thinking about yourself and you're in your own space. I have found some of the most interesting synchronicities in my life through just being still and listening to what's going on around me and then speaking. And that has really guided me in, in, through a lot of situations, whether they've been challenging or not. And as an artist, 
I have to say that some of my best work has come out of the, the transmutation of challenging emotions, what we would consider bad or negative emotions, anger, sadness, grief, those kinds of things produce some of the most incredible transformational energies. And, you know, as an artist, being able to put that onto a canvas or find that into a, in a photograph or put that through, uh, you know, wordsmithing, I have to say that, you know, it's not always about the fun, joyous things. We, we don't just experience one spectrum of emotions. We have to be able to navigate and be okay with the expression of all the different spectrums of emotions. And until we give ourselves permission to be okay with that, we often walk around in shame or guilt or feeling like we're doing something wrong or our life isn't right or we need to do this or that. And, and what we really need to do is just sit down and feel it. And you have to let it oh, express yeah. itself, you know. And if you don't do that, you just get all clogged up and you, you run around in circles and you sabotage the heck out of your life. And, and who wants to really live that way? I don't oh, know. Yeah. I mean, I, it serves a purpose, right? It serves a purpose. But at the end does. of the day, no, it, you I, have I to think... sit down and face yourself. The Dalai Lama had a wonderful story. He was... Um... Somebody was interviewing him and they asked him who was his greatest teacher. And without hesitation, he said, uh, I think it was Mao Zedong. And they said, why? And, and, you know, what he forced you out of your, your temple. He forced you out of your country. He put you in exile. You, you, you live in poverty. How can that be your greatest teacher? And he said, he, it taught me forgiveness, love, compassion, insight, and and when you stop and think about it that way, those times in your life when you go through the the hardest times, the most difficult times, they they are teaching experiences. And if you grow from them, it's wonderful. I think you grow from everything. I think that's oh, why yeah. we're here. You know, we're here in this physical incarnation to be able to experience. Right? Because every day, I mean, I, I've, I've accomplished a lot. A lot of people can go out and accomplish things, and you do it, and you get it done, and you celebrate it, and then you still wake up the next day, and you're like, okay, now what? Are you just done? <laughs> and you go back to, you know, cooking dinner, and, and, and I don't know. I mean, what do you do? So it's, it's, it's got to be, a, it's, for me anyway, it has to be a really well-rounded Thing and I have to keep myself humble through it because if I if I go into you know, just being focused on my accomplishments, I miss the point. Because it's not about your accomplishments; it's about the journey, it's about the experience, it's about being able. Okay, so now what? Okay, God, Goddess, whatever you pray to, you have me here, and I've done this because I got the message, I followed the synchronicities, I did everything right, I went here, I went there, <laughs> I did the prayers, <laughs> I did it, I accomplished, it, I wrote the book, here it is. And then you're still sitting in the room and you're still listening to the crickets outside and you're still watching the sun come up the next day and you still, so accomplishment can't really be human purpose. I don't think, I think accomplishment is more about uh, filling in the space while we're here doing something to leave behind because at the end of the day, we all go cross that big rainbow bridge at the end and we're not taking any of our accomplishments with us. We're taking maybe perhaps the life experience as wisdom. We're taking perhaps the heart energy, the combined experience that we hold in our body. You know, who knows really? But I, I think it's really important for people to remember to keep it in perspective. It's about friendship and love and, and feeling 
feeling is so important and we, we really give it a bad rap especially these days, you know, we, we, it's, it's bad if you feel anger. It's bad if you feel depression. It's bad if you feel sad. No, it's not bad. It's just where you're at in the moment. And for God's sake, turn that into something creative or, you mm-hmm. know, put that down in a journal, spread it across your canvas in whatever color, you know, speaks to you in that moment. There are so many different ways to experience express these beautiful things that we feel and the multifaceted aspects of humanity are really what makes us special and able to relate to other species, to animals, to, to other people, to, it's just really, you can't, you can't lose if you're doing it that way. You can't lose if you're expressing your emotions in a, in a way that is honoring you, honors your truth. And it doesn't even matter if other people get it or not. And that's another thing that people have to remember. It's not about other people accepting or forgiving or, you know, uh, understanding. You just, it's about yourself. It's about what you're going through in the moment. And it's okay to self-love yourself to the point where you're allowed to cry, you're allowed to scream, you're allowed to be mad, you're allowed to be happy and joyful and all the different rainbow spectrum of human expression. Well, absolutely, and and I think that that's something that's so important for people to understand that that these challenges, these experiences, these changes are are meant. They're there for us to to grow from, to learn from, and and sometimes sometimes it's hard to find the you know the truth or the wisdom or or whatever it is that's inside of it. But but when we do, we move on to to even more things. And somebody said to me, well, once once you've you know once you get to wherever you set your goal for, then what happens? And I say, you know, to climb that mountain, then, then there's another mountain to climb. You know, our purpose here well, you is gotta not go down to just... the mountain. You climb oh, yeah. the mountain, you got to the top and now you got to go down. So now you got to get tired and sweaty and you got to go home and make dinner and take a shower. <laughs> the reality <laughs> is that the journey is the ordinary is just as incredible as the extraordinary. And when oh, we absolutely. make that connection, we have a phenomenal time. It doesn't mean you don't get sick. It doesn't mean you don't get sad. It doesn't mean you don't get all this. I, you know, I watched that in the new age industry over the course of my time on the air change. The message was always kind of a spiritual guilt. Well, if you're sick or you're having these emotions, you must be doing something wrong. And I always rejected that because I, that did not feel authentic to me. It felt like it was you know, a guilt trip being laid on people who are having very real life experiences and, and who am I to meet them in any other place except for where they're at. I worked for hospice for two years. I was a hospice volunteer for two years. And I have wow. to tell you, I learned a lot about being around families, people dying. You know, everybody says to me, what do you want to do that for? I had to do the hours for two years in order to, to get my non-denominational ministry. And so... Um, what I learned from that experience was that not only will people die in different energies because some people are very afraid, some people haven't wrapped up their, their loose ends, some people have a lot of resentment, um, families bicker and fight and, and it, it becomes really bad and then some other, sometimes it's not. It's, sometimes it's a fantastic experience. Sometimes people have made peace. And everything is good and it's okay and they, they've told the people in their lives what they need to, told, to tell them. So I, I learned a lot from that and I, I've always brought that forward in all of the work I do, no matter what I'm doing. 
And I've always said to myself, well, at the end of the day, we're human. And no matter how we are perceived by anybody, it doesn't really matter. You know, at the end of the day, we're ourselves and that's who we are. And we're fluctuating, we're transforming, we're learning, we're growing, we're doing all of this deep work, right? Not even knowing it probably, but at the end, you know, we're still a human being crossing over into the big mystery. And how we are with other people at that stage and other stages is really the point. It's the point. Are we going to be open and accepting and loving and joyous and happy? And, and are we going to be uh, supportive and kind and caring? Or are we going to be, you know, separate and cold and self-centered and, and you know, fearful? I mean, we, we really do have that beautiful choice. And so oh, we I, do. Don't think, I think suffering, at the, suffering is an illusion because if you're suffering, there's something going on inside of you that has said, you're not a worthy, special, beautiful, golden being of light who honors their shadow and walks through the different aspects of self with a, a really good attitude, right? Suffering mm-hmm. is, is something inside of you is telling you that you're not that, and that's a lie. So I, I think suffering really has to do with people who can't get themselves out of a frame of mind that has to do with somewhere where they're stuck. And then the work becomes, well, where are you stuck? And let's go back and take a look. It's always about that. That's what I've always found in my healing practices is that all things that come to the surface have a purpose, whether it's pain or love or anything. Well, I think a really good example of that is the, is the young man. He felt like a young man. He probably wasn't really yet. The very last chapter of your book, John... John Rosenkranz, yes. Yeah. The kindness his, his, man. He's the kindness guru. <laughs> and and he has an I'll be there project that mm-hmm. that is phenomenal. And and that's what you're talking about is he finds he finds simple ways of doing random acts of kindness that that just spread such love all over the place and it it costs nothing to do and i think the the message with him was was so um impressive because you know these random acts of kindness that you can do they're they're they mean so much to the people that you do them to and for and you don't get you don't get credit for it you know you don't get you know merit badges or anything like that but when you can see I, I think one of the things that's so much fun for me is when I'm grocery shopping, if I see somebody who's older, you know, shopping, I, I make a point of telling them how pretty they look. And you can see a glow coming from them. And, and, and it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's so simple to do. And so many people think that to do charity work, you have to, you know, throw money at something and and any idiot can put a credit card on the table or cash on the table that's that's not the kind of charity i don't believe that the bible is even talking about it's giving of your time your energy and your love well we've become a very convenient culture and and financial support is really how we show support now and, you know, if we give $5 or $50 or $500, it's, it's our way of helping. And, and it really does help. 
Mm -hmm. People really do need money. Bills have to be paid. Food has to be put on the table. The reality is that, you know, the energy exchange might have been a basket of food, you know, hundreds of years ago, and now the the energy exchange is money. And that's just the way our world is. And until it changes, we all have to keep the lights on and we all have to keep gas in the car and we all have to, you know, keep our kids happy and, and safe. So, I think that it's all in relative to where we're at and, and it's all appreciative, but it, you're right because there are things and Chun does an incredible job. I was his first radio interview ever, which just makes me smile because I was so happy that I was the first person he ever got on the radio with. He's going to be doing great things in the world. I see it very clearly. And I saw it the first time I met him. So he has an important message and it's a message that's timely in our culture right now. Our world is going through something. Our planet is going through something. Everybody's oh, yeah. going through something, right? So we can take the microcosm of whatever we're going through personally, and then we can look at the macro out there, and we can probably find a tremendous amount of similarities in what we're experiencing with what's going on, whatever our attention is caught on. Okay, so, you know, because what I look at out in the world may not be the same thing that other people look out in the world, but we're still looking out in the world. So whatever the mirror is for the collective, it's always something to, to give us back for the micro. So how people are suffering and how they're going through all these things, kindness is kind of like a magical wand that comes along and clears the clouds and the fog. You know, it's like oh, the yeah. best thing we can, it's the closest thing we can get to fairy dust, Right. Without going to find the fairies, <laughs> when you, we when sprinkle you a little at, bit of kindness. Yeah, when you when you look at at the where all of the the flooding is today, and and all of the men that have come from all over the place with their boats to help rescue people. I mean, nobody asks them to do it. Nobody's paying them to do it. They're doing it because this is what they do, and it's it's just amazing to see how they put themselves out there for for. 16, 18 hours at a time, finding people that need to be rescued and rescuing them. And that person may never see them again, but they have made an impact. They have made an impression on that person's life forever. Mm -hmm. Well, some of the most extraordinary moments in my life have been from complete strangers and it's been fleeting moments. It's been these quick, synchronistic, beautiful, kind interactions and then gone. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we always think that our relationships, our long term connections, our long term relationships, friendships, et cetera, are always the ones that define us. But, you know, that's not necessarily true. Sometimes it's the little quick ones, the, the meaningful interactions or, or, or intersections that we experience with other people that really just leave a lasting impact. And Chun's work, going back to him, he, he really does do that in his work. The I'll Be, I'll Be There project. It's about home, helping homeless people in New York City. That's where he is. Mm-hmm. And he goes and hits the streets with whatever he has raised. He buys things like toothbrushes. And in the winter, he buys hats and blankets and things of that sort because these people really need it. And they're forgotten. And people walk right by them every day and don't see them. And so for somebody, when they're seen, that's really when I think the, the magic happens. It's really easy to be ignored and and passed by and not see, you know not seen. But when somebody sees you, there's an instant reaction there. It's psychic. It's telepathic. It's intuitive. It's 
it's sensual, it's human. And that aspect is what makes us not robots, right? Yeah, thank God. You know, everybody <laughs> talks about technology. I mean, I know you read my book, so I know, you know, we're going to have to talk about some of this technology stuff. But that yeah. really is what keeps us different from robots or AI or the things that are mimicking human consciousness but aren't quite human consciousness. You know, we really are the biological uh, magnificent miracles of life and, and nothing really is ever going to come along and take that away from us. And I think sometimes we lose, we lose sight of that. And our humanity is revealed in our ability to be kind to other people, even in the face of hardship or in the face of unkindness. So if you can, if you can present yourself as a kind person, feel that in your heart, and not let somebody else knock you off your center, then you've achieved something important. And, maybe, and you've been an important mirror for the person who's unable to achieve that state in that moment for whatever reason, without judgment. It, it just is what it is. So it's a much easier way to come across your life and travel through it and, and experience different things and not get so caught in the sticky little gutter places that tend to pull us down and make us feel awful. Or, you oh, know, yeah. because like, like attracts like, that's how I see it, right? It's, and so if you're true. feeling miserable, yeah, if you're feeling miserable and your, your, your self-talk is not the most highest self-talk you can conjure, <laughs> you're going to start noticing things coming into your awareness, things into your circle that are mirroring those, those self-perpetuating ideals and, and things that you're thinking about yourself. And you may not even realize it. That's how sneaky yeah. this stuff is. Well, it does, but when it you do realize it, you. you can change it. Yeah, you, it creeps up on you. I, I served in the pulpit um, for a spiritualist church for five years. And, um, you know, I, was a, I, I didn't do sermons because I didn't feel qualified, but I did sharing. And... Um, one of one of the ones that the one of the t- times that I was kind of trying to figure out what was I going to talk about, I I had a neighbor who is is an unhappy neighbor and and she's mean to everybody and and this one particular time she decided to to really try to rip me to pieces and normally I probably might have gotten caught up in it and ripped back. But I realized just as I was about to open my mouth, I heard a voice that said, this is a mirror of what you become if you sink to that level. Hmm. And it was like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) I do not want to be that. (laughs) Well, it's amazing when you realize. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing when you realize the power of being able to stand in your own center and not let other people push you off of it, no matter what they do. And, yeah. and sometimes they'll, they'll notice that they're not pushing you off center and they'll try even harder to push you off center to engage yeah. you in a negative, you know, argument or a fight or, or something, you know, just something that has that taste. And the more you're able to not engage and maybe you just need to turn around and tell that person to leave. So whatever, wherever yeah. you're putting your personal power at any given time really depends on where you're at in your own path. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and no matter what you do, there's no right or wrong way of doing it. It's just literally where you're at. So if you turn around and engage, that's where you're at, right? Yep. And that's your growth and your experience, and that's what you need to go through. That's your fertilizer. 
Mm-hmm. And if you are not able to be pulled into an altercation with somebody, well, kudos to you because you, you've kind of graduated to the point where you don't have to engage in order to have that experience anymore. You've graduated yeah. into the next experience. Yeah. As, as I was walking away from that, I, I said to myself, oh, this is what the higher road feels like. <laughs> Well, I don't know if it's higher or lower because then that automatically gives the the connotation that it's bad, you know, it's better or worse. And we got to get away from that language. I believe that that language has done us a lot of disservice because when we're going through these experiences, whatever it is, but if it knocks us on our butt, right? Well, that experience Mm -hmm. is what we're supposed to have. And we're supposed to learn from that. And we're supposed to get up and we're supposed to, I mean, failure for me has been a great teacher, Right. Um, success as well. They're two different taskmasters. They they have their own flavor of learning and teaching, and and going through both of them has been very helpful. Even though one might feel better than the other, it doesn't make it any less valuable. So we have to start looking at all life experiences valuable and and a learning process. And I think we can change a lot of the attitudes around about what's going on in the world if we take a look at it that way instead. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, this, this journey that you're on, that, that all of us are on, is, is such an exciting adventure. Um, and, it, and it is how you perceive it. It's what it, you, we perceive. Our, we, our reality becomes a, um, a manifestation of our perception. And, um, you know, you, you kind of need to, to sort of focus and refocus from time to time as, as things change. I know that uh, it's been an adventure for me being in this field for over 50 years, just seeing the changes and the different modalities that have come out of it and the different ways that people are finding to, to find, to, to begin to search within themselves. And that's, that's my, my biggest thing is, you know, we have all the answers inside of ourselves. We have a piece of the infinite within inside of us. You know, that's that's where we should go for that that information. And and if you need help finding the pathways within you, then there are tools that you can use that can help you to get there. And I am I am overwhelmed and humbled to see people not not coming and asking me to tell them something or to whatever, but to get, you know, can you share with me the tools that I can help to find myself my own way? And, you know, that, that is, that is such an exciting thing for me. Well, of course, I mean, who doesn't want to help with that? Right. I mean, it's one of those yeah. things that we get to be of service in a really special way for sure. I mean, at the root of all of this is healing. And healing mm-hmm. is something that people can be very uncomfortable talking about or they can be overcomfortable talking about. You know, healing is, is personal, it's, it's private, but it's also something we need to learn how to reach out and ask for help when we need it. You know, I know who I can go to when I need, you know, a, a tune-up, I call it, you know, if I want body work done or sort of, I have the people I go to. And, and that's what I tell people, find people you're comfortable going to in times when you know you need the support because our families aren't always going to be able to provide it. Our friends aren't always going to be able to provide it. Our acquaintances won't always be able to provide Facebook doesn't always provide it. Right. We have to be Mm -hmm. able to go to somebody that we trust that we can, that holds us in a sacred space and makes us feel safe. And, And that's, 
self-care. Self-love and self-care are the two biggest things that anybody can do for themselves at any given time, especially when they feel in need. Oh, absolutely. No, it's it's the 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 journey that humanity is on is 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 a fascinating one and um it it's fun to watch um and every now and then participate in it, it's kind of like oh my goodness are we really going in this direction every now and then but but we always seem to come out of everything okay so i'm you know i have very high hopes for humanity as a whole so um but i wanted to to touch a little bit um from your book you you there there are there are people everybody in your book is on a journey of some sort according to their own level of consciousness or their focus or their their everybody is on a journey and it it was fascinating to read the different stories and see how different people were reacting to the different challenges that their spirit was pulling into their lifetime who was it that oh, the, yeah. the, who was it that did the 1111 one that one. Oh, Hillary Carter. Hillary Carter oh. is one of the most amazing people on this planet. <laughs> okay. I remember finding my, okay. So I have to tell you this story. It's a great story. I was going through this time where I was seeing numbers. 1111 was on the clock all the time. It would be on my, you know, my phone. It was just, it was just all over the place. And I'm, I'm like, oh gosh, what's happening? And some people were talking about it and, oh yeah, this is happening to me too. And oh, it means this or oh, it means that. And uh, I, as I was looking for a guest to book, I came across a, a publisher's website and the first book on the page was the 1111 code. And I said, oh, my gosh, I have to get this book, but I also have to talk to this woman. And her name's Hillary. She spells it with one L. I spell Uh mine with two. So anyway, that's funny. I'll come back to that. So I have the publisher send me the book and put me in contact with Hillary. And uh, she's just this lovely British woman, and she's just adorable. So she reaches out to me, and we make make the, the arrangements to do the show. She comes on. I read her book. Okay, because like you, I read all the books that come in and that I'm doing shows with. If I choose, if uh-huh. I choose a person, I read their book. I absolutely loved this book. Okay, she tells the story of when she bought a convent in uh, one of the countries she lives between France and England, and she, I think she had bought this one in Spain, and so yeah. she was buying it, and and it was like this 1600 old monastery, and it has all this amazing Templar history. And she just has this phenomenal story about her whole synchronicities that went through. Because her whole premise is 1111 has to do with synchronicity. And mm-hmm. it has to do with confirmation from a higher path of spirit or uh, intelligence, an actual liquid-like intelligence, which I think is intuitive, goes through all of us and guides us in these different ways, and it actually connects us to the other realms. And if we're not paying attention to it, then it just kind of lingers and waits for us to pay attention. And when we do pay attention, it just gets stronger and stronger and happens more and more and more and more. And the more tapped in you are to it, the more powerful the synchronicities really are. And you, and you can get to the point where you live your life connected to that. And so Hillary tells this amazing story of how she follows the numbers. She even followed the numbers to buy this convent, uh, this monastery, excuse me. And then uh-huh. she, you know, she goes through all of this stuff. So our first show together was fantastic. 
because I had read her book. She was a great guest. She was very talkative. It just made the hour go by very quickly. And then I ended up meeting her in France when I was there doing an artist residency. Her and I went to see the, the Lascaux Caves together. Um, along with the other artists, I was spending the, the two weeks there or three weeks there and uh, Robert Bouval, who is the founder of the Orion Theory. We all met and we went to see the Lascaux Caves together. What a phenomenal experience. And then afterwards, we all had this incredible conversations about life and cosmos and just an amazing, amazing uh, time. And, and I recently saw her this past spring again in London. Uh, I was doing a, a trip with women to see the ancient sites of Avalon. And her and I went to the British Museum together to take a look at these old orb balls that were found in Ireland, Scotland, upper UK area. Um, what a phenomenal time we had. We just have the greatest adventures. We follow the numbers. She really lives her life according to how she wrote her books. I think she's done four books at this point now. But anyway, wow. one of my absolute favorite all-time people. Well, her story was amazing, and, and I loved the fact that she, she bought two monasteries, and the second one she, she, she was sure was going to be glorious or whatever, and it turned out to not be so. And no. The, 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 it was the, an awful experience. <laughs> she couldn't get anything done in that building at all. And she and so it's so she so this is a perfect example of what we were just talking about, because she was got just uh but you know her head just brick walls you know just brick walls all these all these blocks kept coming up all these challenges, and she finally realized. Long story short, she finally realized that this particular location had actually housed some old Templar scrolls. And they were still buried on the property, and so there was. So she let. She ended up letting go of the property, and she ended up walking away from that particular place because it just it, the it, the spirits of the place just would not let her turn it into a yoga studio. I mean, it was just no. <laughs> it was just no. But it was interesting because the numbers had led her there, right? Uh-huh. So she's following her intuition. She's following the numbers. She's doing what she does. She's living. She's walking the talk. And she gets it. She doesn't understand why it's not working. What an incredible metaphor for other people. Well, I followed the numbers and I followed the signs and I'm supposed to be doing this, but nothing's going right. <laughs> so I think, I think we have to let go of the assumption that just because we're following the numbers, things are going to go right. You know, they well, might lead minute, us though. into some adventures that don't go right, but there's a reason. She, yeah. she, did, she did also, though, discover um, some past lives in which she had been there and – so there was there was an enlightening. That was the point. Yeah, that was know, the point. point she the needed to go through that, right? She needed to go through that in order to to un, unearth and dig up those things within herself. See, that was what the synchronicity was leading her to. It wasn't necessarily like, oh yeah, this is gonna be a great business. You're gonna have people flying in from all over the world. You're gonna make a million dollars. This wasn't about a yoga studio. This was about her higher purpose journey and how she had to let go of some of the more superficial things that we, that we think we're here for, right. Our accomplishments. And she had to realize that what really was going on was that the real life journey was the connections and the, and the revelations that she had through it all that revealed her past life connections and very important things that she had to go through. Well, interesting too, that, the, you know, she saw a monk, 
burying scrolls and locking them with a spell of some sort. And, and in many ways she was unlocking wisdom within herself so that, so that what was, had been hidden was no longer hidden from her. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's just a beautiful thing. It's just a beautiful thing. It's like, it's, it just sums up the entire healing process. You know, it's like if America could heal, what would that look like? If America was an entity, right, an archetypal entity that lived in the etheric world, what would it look like and what would it take for that to heal? Good question. <laughs> I, I hope no someone answer. out there is listening and they're going, wow, well, I have some thoughts on that. In fact, in the book, there's a chapter by Angela Kaufman, Healing the American Shadow. And at the yes. time when we did the show, I had read an article uh, during the campaign, presidential campaigns, and I, her article just hit home, hit me right in the face. I read it. It was like smack. I was like, I need to talk to this woman. <laughs> That's really how it happened. <laughs> and uh, she actually lives local, so I was able to contact her, and we arranged to do a show. And uh, the show was fantastic. It was so phenomenal. That's one of the reasons why I picked it to be in the book, because it was so relevant you know, I saw something happening as we were all moving into this political psycho world that we're in right now. And I was just like, you know, somebody has to give somebody a different perspective on this. And that's what Angela did. She gave a different perspective on how to see the chaos of what was going on around us in a much different light. Like what did Donald Trump really represent? What did Hillary Clinton really represent well they represented an archetypal male energy and an archetypal female energy and and the way that we needed to see that was all of course individual of course we're going to see it in our own filters right but on Mm -hmm. a bigger picture we can really take a look at that in a different perspective and see it through different eyes and and Angela offered a different way to see that and she she challenged listeners to to go inside and say, well, what does Donald Trump really represent to you? What does he trigger? What victimization does he trigger? Does he trigger that? Does he trigger your healing process? Does he trigger something that happened to you 10, 20 years ago? Does he trigger that one person you can't stand in your life that you reminds you know you reminds of that person? So it was a really interesting way to process the collective happenings that were going on all around us and still continue to this day, really and bring it to the surface as a different perspective, as a healing perspective. Well, what does Donald Trump bring to the table? A tremendous amount of healing for our planet, period. Mm-hmm. No matter how you look at it, he brings a tremendous amount of healing to the planet. Is he, is he as bad as they make him out to be now? I don't know, because I think we're so manipulated with, and so overwhelmed with so much information and headlines and news and opinions and perspective. It's just 24-7 nonstop. And, oh, yeah. and when you're exposed to that kind of nonstop, 24-7, you start to break down and start to believe things. If someone's telling you the same story over and over and over and over and over and over again, you start to believe it, whether, you, whether it's true or not. It could be a complete lie. And just because you've heard it over and over and over again, you believe it is true. It's just unfortunate that we're like that, but propaganda works like that. So it, we it, have to be careful. That, that kind we of have to be careful. Like, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say you had something on your Facebook page about truth and lie. Um, 
Yeah, they, well, it was a good, interesting story. It was a 19th century story. It was it was, it was um, associated beautiful. with a painting. <laughs> yeah. I can't take credit for it, but it was something that I had found somewhere else and, and reposted. But it was it was an interesting concept of how truth and lie can get distorted, and how people really don't want the truth. People don't really want to know what's going on. They just want to, they want to know everything's okay, and they would like to have an opinion, and they'd like that opinion to be heard and maybe known or at least acknowledged, right? But it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that opinion is right. And, right? and Your opinions and I, are your opinions, yeah. but they're not necessarily correct, or I, they don't I, have all the information. I love the fact that the naked truth hid and didn't want to be seen, and lies went around in the clothing of truth. And, you know, we're accepting, I loved it. I mean, if I were well, a I think that's pointer, really relevant. To, yeah, I, I think it's really a, a, a very good um, example of what's happening now. What we're, what we're looking at now, see, I, I'm of the belief, because I've been doing this research work for a long time, through 9-11, through the birth of Bitcoin, through the birth of social media, Facebook was relatively new. We have to remember, it hasn't been around for too long. It yeah, was relatively true. new about a decade ago, right? So, you know, we're yeah. going through this digital age where we are transitioning from um, FaceTime, face-to-face time, to mm-hmm. a virtual time. And in the transition from face-to-face time to virtual time, we begin to, I don't know, imagine some things that perhaps aren't as based in reality as face-to-face time. So we have to be careful with the, with the concept and the theory versus the reality. I mean, just because somebody posts it on their social media platforms doesn't mean you're seeing the whole picture. I mean, it, it's like uh-huh. everybody has said – Everybody has come to a kind of weird conclusion where, like, you know, they can determine uh, someone's mental health or mental state or what's going on in their lives based on what they post on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. You have to be really careful with that because we have to remember that life is not just pictures. Life is not just fancy posts or quotes or things, that, clever things that you can put on for other people to like. I mean, my, my, my social media platform, I, I keep very, you know, uh, I keep aligned with whatever's going on with my work. It, it really is a business kind of platform for me. It's about promoting my stuff. It's about talking about things that I'm going to be talking about. So I use it for a very distinct reason. Um, I, I don't use it to post what I'm eating or who's coming over for the day or what's going on in certain things. I, I try to post beauty and interesting, intriguing things and and uh, make it a, a nice contribution to the landfill, I guess. But um, we have to remember, we have to really remember that we cannot profile people according to their virtual life or their virtual ways of expressing themselves. We have to remember that there's are real human beings behind these things that have insecurities and hopes and dreams and things of that sort, just like we all do. And you may not be seeing the full picture and, and that's okay. I mean, I think, I think that's okay. And I think I would expect that, right? I wouldn't expect someone to just lay out every single thought and thing they're doing all day long on an endless stream of digital acknowledgement. I would hope some people do. would be a little more <laughs> cautious about that. <laughs> well, yeah, some, some actually do. I am told I, I am not one of, I, I don't do tweeting. So 
Um, and, and I use my Facebook for basically advertising as well. So, um, you know, if, if they want to learn about me, I guess they will just listen to all the shows I've done and that'll be kind of all they get because the rest of it, um, I, I try to keep private, 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 you know, private means private that you are entitled to a piece of yourself or so that, that you don't share with everybody. Yeah. But I don't think that everybody really respects that. I think it's become a cliche. I think it's become this weird thing where privacy, in my opinion, is basically dead. And if you want privacy, you have to build it. You have to, you have to have boundaries. You have to respect those boundaries. You have to you know, acknowledge when people don't respect those boundaries and you have to deal with that. You know, there's, there's a lot of times where I've had people kind of intrude into my life by, with a text or a message, and, and I haven't gone to them to talk to them about something. So I feel kind of like it's an intrusion. And I, the first thing I'll do is, you know, say to them kindly and with respect, you know, that not right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're either going to take offense to that and get mad and, and run off and feel and suffer, <laughs> or they're going to be like, okay, and they'll be fine and go on with their life, right? Either way, it is not my problem because if yeah. I have boundaries and I stick to those boundaries and the person has a reaction to those boundaries, that is their problem. It's the same thing Absolutely. if I go and try to cross somebody's boundaries and they get mad at me because I've crossed their boundaries. Well, I'm the perpetrator of crossing the boundaries, right? So therefore, I deserve to be kind of pushed back and told no. And I, I, and you should be humble in that. You should be able to say, okay, well, okay, I, I can respect and honor that and, and walk away and not lose one bit of sleep over it because people need to have their own ways of expressing themselves and doing things and how they live. And, and privacy, I think, is, is important. And I think it's respectful, especially if you have children or your family. You know, you, you don't need to put everything all over the place. And God knows who takes those pictures off. You know, you hear all kinds of stories of people invading into social media, taking pictures, creating fake things here and there, and exploiting it and all this stuff. Why oh, do you yeah. need to put yourself into all of that or put your kids through that or anything like that? How dare they, really? And True. if anybody gives any kind of garbage about that, then shame on them. <laughs> I agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> I wanted to ask I wanted to ask about you've led groups to Egypt and Sedona. Now I've been to Sedona, I've not been to Egypt, but I've I've done remote viewing to Egypt. So what were the focuses of these groups that you were you were taking? Uh well I did a I did a couple groups in the mid two thousands and I did one group to Sedona. And the group that I did to Sedona, it was, uh, it was focused on Egypt, believe it or not, in Sedona, because there is a couple sites in Egypt that look very similar to the Red Rock Sedona area. So what uh-huh. we were focusing on was bridging the energies between the Sedona sites and the Egypt sites. So the people that came with us to Sedona, we were going to the vortexes, we were doing meditation. Uh, we had a, an incredible guide in Sedona, and he was taking us to different different locations, way off the path. We went to a couple caves. We really had a phenomenal time. And uh, then some of those people came to Egypt with us, 
and we walked through all the, the typical sites that everybody would see on a typical tour, but we also went to different places and had private time in a lot of areas where people don't normally have. So we were able to do the same kind of meditation, the same kind of bridging, and, and this was all kind of pre before 2012. So we were working on building up the energies to the 2012 era. Um, I was also doing a lot of shows at Barbara Hanclow at the time. Her and I did nine mm-hmm. shows over nine years. And the nine years that we were doing the shows together were all based on her astrology. Her She does this incredible job of bridging the micro and the macro with the personal and the collective and what's going on in the world and how it relates to the astrology and and all of this mind calendar stuff. So we were working on bridging all of that together, and uh, we went to these sacred sites because, well, I was called to go, and uh-huh. the people showed up for the trip. And usually if the people show up for the trip, you can do the trip, right? <laughs> so right. if you're meant to go, the people will show up on the trip. And we had a great group of people. Um, I first went to Egypt on someone else's group. We had about 30 women. Uh, it wasn't just a women's kind of trip, but it just happened to be 30 women. And it was a really incredible time because at that point in my life, uh, I had to work really hard to, to pay for it. I had to really set the intention. Um, and so it was an accomplishment for me to be able to make the money to go and to, to show up and do it all. And uh, I had to get an extra job at the time so I could pay for it. And, but, that's my, but that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I did it and got there. And, and the luxury aspect of that trip was really incredible. And I, I always feel very strongly that if you're going to go to Egypt, you should really do Egypt right. Because if you're doing Egypt in a, in a cheaper way, <clears throat> excuse me, where you cut corners, you're not really getting the full impact of the energy. So I really liked the group that took us. The second time I took my own group, and then the third time I went by myself. Goodness. Well, then you've definitely done it right, I would think. I know that uh, I had a group we worked with, um, Bob Brown, and we we did remote viewing um, on some of the sites that are there, and it was quite an experience. It's it's um, the remote viewing is still on my website, and I'm going to continue it on. Um, probably later this year, I'll pick it up again. Um, we did it with a group of people um, that were. Um, it was all internet, internet, so that I would. We would gather, I would gather the energies together, and as one, we would go out of body and we would do remote viewing. And um, it was very magical, and the energies there are are phenomenal. And I I, I truly believe that there's a lot more to come out of, of especially the Giza Plateau. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, I know you're planning something with Maria Wheatley and, and she is an amazing lady with her, her dowsing and her energetics. And um, want to talk a little bit about what you're going to be doing with her. Sure. We have, um, I'm sorry, I have my, <coughs> my voice just caught. We have a, a really fantastic tour coming up next year. She's going to be coming to the United States. And we're going to be going around to some of the megalithic sites, stone chambers, some of the different things that America has. And she's going to be doing some special teachings, talking about the, the you know, the connections between the, the work that she does in the UK and how they came here in America and 
we're going to go to these sites and do meditation. We're going to do some dowsing work. Um, we're in the process of putting that together right now. So I don't have any details yet, but you can go to my website and you can send me a contact on my website and you can let me know you would like to stay in touch so that when the trip releases that, you know, you'll be one of the first people to get the information because I know this is going to sell out. We already have people who want to be on the tour um, from this country and other countries. So it really, it's going to be an exciting time. It's going to be a week or so. So it's a relatively short tour, but we're going to go down to some of the Catskill sites. We might go to America's Stonehenge. There's some other sites we're considering as well. Uh, maybe Cahokia, Serpent's Mound in Ohio. So it'll be uh-huh. a Northeastern United States tour. And I know you've done a lot of work with the Stone Chambers here, and I've been I've been visiting them for, gosh, probably 15, 20 years now. Um, yeah, so no, they, very special they places. are. They are amazing. Are you going to hit any of the stuff in Michigan? The copper probably site? not. No, probably not because because the it, it's going to be about a week. We have to keep it to specific sites that are easy to get to relatively in the Northeast because I'd like to take people up through the mountains. So leaves are changing. It's an incredible time of year to be here in this part oh, yeah. of the country. So we, we, it's, I can't really give you too much details because we haven't really done the cemented, put it together yet, but we're in the process of doing that right now. So we have all the details coming together. So the only thing I can really tell you is it's going to be amazing because I have an idea in my head where we're going to be, and she's also choosing the site she wants to go to. Well, it's it's about time that that somebody paid attention to the um, the the archaeology and and the historical sites that we have here in this country. Most people, when they think of of ancient anything, they think of Egypt, Rome, Greece, maybe Crete. Um, you know, they don't think of, of this country, you know, it, it's almost as though they acknowledge, you know, all of Europe and they acknowledge, acknowledge Egypt and they acknowledge South America, and, but, and China, don't forget China and, and, you know, the first, the, the, the yellow emperor and his terracotta army and all of that. But, but they, they tend to totally negate the fact out that this continent is just as old as all of those and has just as much in it, if not more. And that's because we're a young country who has really a lot invested in keeping a control on the history of America. You know, you, you learn what you learn in school. Right, you're indoctrinated into the typical American history. You learn all your dates, you learn the wars, you learn what's important, you learn who won, and you're not given any kind of ancient relevance at all. So, America, I feel, has a soul crisis. Uh Okay, I think it has a spiritual crisis going on because everybody that's here comes from someplace else, right? Supposedly, you know, you might be born here, but your heritage is probably not pure American. It's probably European. It's probably South American. Who knows, right? But when you come okay. to America, it's like a, it's like a, a, a potluck of different nationalities, people coming from all over the place. But we don't look past the Native Americans. We don't look past the history of the Native Americans. If we look past the history of the Native Americans, we start to realize that the Step Pyramid Echohikia definitely has something to do with much further back 
than just oh, Native yeah. Americans. So we really have kind of a, a soul crisis where an identity crisis, if you will. And the West is, you know, their eyes are usually focused on uh, much more modern materialism. Uh, we don't have a deep spiritual practice as Westerners. You know, you go East and you have a very obvious deep spiritual heritage. You come here, it's definitely, you know, the mall. It's the mall. Yeah. It's the, <laughs> it's the, <laughs> It's the city what? life, it's the partying, it's the, it's the capitalism, it's the materialistic stuff. It's, the, it's just so, it needs healing. So Marie and I are going to be going to these sites with the intention of healing this energy. And we're going to be using dowsing tools. She's going to be, you know, she's going to be, we're going to really have a fantastic time. But it's not just about that. It's like if everybody started to go to these sites in a way that was respectful to the energies they hold. Imagine how that would change the American energy. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's, you know, there are sites here in this country that that take you back thousands and thousands of years. Uh, I, I know that when, when Thomas Jefferson sent Lewis and Clark out to, um, to find the Pacific, um, he, one of the things he had, told them to do was to find to see if they if they ran across there were um there were papers before they started finding the new world i mean we weren't lost we were here and the papal bulls said that basically a, a country could claim the property for themselves unless there were christians there and if there were christians there they couldn't claim it and so Thomas Jefferson had, had sent Lewis and Clark out with, with a code in, in which to communicate to him whether or not they were finding any of, you know, these, these Celtic Indians. And they did find them because that would mean that the Celts were here before um, Columbus claimed this land. So therefore, that would make our buying ourselves or, or declaring ourselves free from Great Britain um, a moot point because Britain didn't own us. So well, I think the was, whole way it happened was completely inappropriate. Let's just oh yeah that. okay. So I mean, it's like you have you have this. We don't we don't really know the real story. We've all been taught the the, the story that that the you know they want us to know, right? So we've had to look to alternative information to be able to free our mind in order to understand what really happened. Like if you talk about the giants, which is something Maria is very well known for, um, you talk about the giants being here. Well, then you're going even further back. You know, the Indians here even have, especially in the Northeast have uh, legends of working with the redheaded people. Um, The stone chambers in the Northeastern United States, as you know, is Mm -hmm. very similar to the construction in the Orkney Islands in Scotland. So you have this you have this this broad reach of different cultures. I mean, look at the pyramid cultures. The pyramids are all over this planet. And we still can't get it straight that there was a pyramid culture that was global and why these pyramids are on these specific lines around the planet and why what they really are for. Nobody can agree on it. Everybody writes a different book on it. Everybody goes to a conference oh, yeah. and hears 
10 different theories on what they think it might be. And we still don't agree on what it was, but the fact is, is they're still here. And there's, I'm sure there's still many, many more we haven't discovered yet. And there's so many that haven't even been unearthed. We can see them from, you know, different ways of imaging, but we don't, we haven't actually gone in yet. China has a whole bunch. They won't even, they won't even excavate them. You know, you go, you come here and Cahokia is clearly a step pyramid. Mm -hmm. Clearly you can look at images and make that conclusion and they won't. So um, they Mound. won't excavate it. Monk's Mound is a step well, because if they excavate well. it, if they excavate it, Barbara, what happens is <coughs> you change history immediately. Yes. And everything that everyone has learned and studied and gotten their PhDs for is null and void. Well, look at the Iroquois Nation. I mean, they they encompassed you know from here down into. Um, Mexico and and uh, and further. I mean, they were huge, and you know these weren't just little hunter hunters gatherers. These were huge cultures, and and um, it's it's ignored. It's totally ignored. And you know it, it's funny because they tell stories about how in Egypt early on um, they were literally using mummies as fuel for their trains and stuff like that, because they weren't thinking anything as far as, you know, history or anything like that. They were just burning them in their, in their locomotives. And when, when they started to um, put the the railroad out to the West and, and even in, in the 1800s, especially they were digging up graveyards of, of mass graveyards, mass graveyards of, of wars and conflicts and, and, lots of giants and all sorts of other stuff. I mean, what we've dug up here in this country has totally been ignored. Um, If you look at the reports, especially from the 1800s on giants and and bones and stuff like that being discovered, I mean, it's overwhelming the amount of material that, that we have ignored or just, you know, they've, They've unearthed these huge bones and they've said, oh, look, I can put this, this skull over my skull. Isn't that cool? I'm taking it home. And that's what they did. They did they, they, most of this stuff hasn't been preserved. And, and that which was sent to the Smithsonian, a lot of it has been destroyed. So because We're of our... Or insec- in a basement somewhere. Or yeah. stuck in a basement of one of the museums in a box. To weigh, and the only people that can get to any of those artifacts are you know, the carefully vetted people that they let in. So you have, you have a system that supports secrecy. You have, a, you have leadership that supports secrecy. And mm-hmm. until we have leadership that doesn't support secrecy <laughs> and allows us to be able to really take an, you know, a, a, an honest look at the realities. I mean, Christianity has done a lot of damage Okay, it is it oh, is yeah. not the 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 all seeing wonderfulness that it claims to be, and you still find people in very high places in our society here in the West that just they they are just bent on the whole Christian uh, phenomena, and that's it, and that's their shell, and they don't let anything else in that's not that. And they run industries, and they run this and that. And and if you're not pledging your entire being to their version of God, then you don't get in. 
you don't get into the universities, you don't get into the basements of the museums, you don't get into uh, some of the success rings that that exist. You you just don't you don't move into those things. Those gatekeepers that hold those keys will not let you in. If you don't believe, because their belief systems are so strong, and, and it's like a, it's like this this club or something. It's bizarre. You can call it whatever you want. You can say it's this or that. But at the end of the day, you know, if if your theory could be solid, you could have solid evidence, and you're just going to get ignored, and you're just going to get blacklisted. You do you do begin to wonder because Christianity originally absorbed the, the pagan religions into it so that they they became one. And when you look at um, down in, in um, the Haitians, um, they've taken Christianity and absorbed it into their way of life so that so that the, the saints and, and all of the major figures are, are also their gods and goddesses. And yet when when Christianity hit the shores here, it was my way or the highway. They ne- they didn't care to learn about the ways of the Indians. That was in they were in such harmony with the earth. There was so much wonderful material that they could have shared that would have enhanced the element of Christianity instead of instead of you know shutting those doors and saying no this is it this is what Rome says or this is what the Pope says or or whatever. It, it's kind of like if it. it the the religion when it hit this particular continent did not allow for anything different or expansive or enhancing. And, and it, it made us a culture that is really kind of closed in many ways. I, I mean, today spirituality is definitely opening the doors and, and, you know, just, you can be spiritual and be religious at the same time. There's nothing that says you have to be one or the other. And when you, when you, when you put the two together, you have something you can work with, but it just, it it feels to me, it, it really feels to me as though at some point in time, they stopped embracing and and started to shut out. And that, that was a, a bad thing for us as a culture. Well, we have to remember the secret society element in all this. Okay, so mm. the, I mean, I'm I'm a very I'm a realist to some degree. I, I I know that there are certain influences behind the scenes that are very real, and they they are they were very instrumental in our beginnings. So you know, when they're coming over here, they're they're not merging with paganism. They're not merging with the earth-centered, you know, the belief systems. They're literally building their churches on top of the holy sites to the people who were worshiping the land and 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 had the power spots. And so, you know, if you go through Mexico, there's a. I mean, I I don't know pretty much any pyramid site that doesn't have some kind of church structure either oh, yeah. on top of it or as close to it as you can get. In fact, in Mexico city, there's one, the, the cathedral is built right on top of the, the top of the pyramid, you know, it's underground of course, but the, the cathedral. And so I don't see that as emerging. I see that as a, as a takeover, as a oh, way yeah. to really say, okay, I'm going to now channel all that energy into this. <laughs> so what they did was they decided that this was how they were going to persuade the locals, the indigenous people to give up their beliefs and to come over to Christianity so they could buy the land, right? Because you said they can't go in there unless there's Christians. And so conversion is, is a major goal. 
and you're yeah. going to convert somebody as much as you can in order to do that, right? So their first goal was to say, no, my God is better than your God, and you should come over on this side. And so the ones that didn't were, of course, punished in ways, and the ones that did were secretly praying to the earth, and then, you know, to survive, knowing that they had to give some kind of homage to this new white person coming in and all this. So that we have all this karma, right? Okay, so America has this really deep karma. It, it's, it's, it's dominating. It's intrusive. It's disrespectful. There, there mm-hmm. wasn't, there was death, okay? I mean, they, we came over, white people came over to this country. Maybe there was, I mean, there was white redheaded people here, right? There was a certain yeah. culture that came over here and just dominated everything, and then built a country out of that. And so you're built on a deck of cards, right? So if you don't go back to the roots of that and do some healing work on that, it's just like a person who tries to ignore their trauma in their life and doesn't go back and deal with the roots. They're never really that successful or they always have some kind of issues and they always end up going through the same things over and over, right? The healing process itself. Well, we can apply that to the state of the country, and we don't like things now. We, we're so upset about this and that and all this other stuff going on, but we're missing the point. We're missing the point. The point is, is that the healing needs to take place in order for us to be able to, and the healing does not have to be any one way. Mm-hmm. If the healing has to be Christian for you because you're Christian, so be it. If the healing has to be shamanic for somebody because they, they believe in shamanism, so be it. We don't have a right else how to experience God. And no, we've and- gotten so off the path of that that we just, we just say, no, you, if you don't believe what I believe, then, oh, my gosh, you're a horrible person. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, it's, I think- just, it's the most ass-backward thing I've ever heard in my life. One of the one of the interesting things is that that churches, um, especially um, in Europe, are built on power spots, and those power spots were usually used as um, healing spots for the indigenous people. I think one of, one of the cool things about um, this country, if if you go back thousands of years. Is that the 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 indigenous people, whoever they were, um, would recognize that when animals were hurt, they went to a certain spot and they and they became healed. And so they started to bring their sick to those spots, and they found that they were healed. And so that's where they would build their altars or their whatever, and they became the central pieces of of the town and that's when after after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that's where the the major forms of worship happened and so these energy spots are energy and energy does not have a denomination it's energy it's love and and it can be expressed through any language culture or religion that you want but but the energy is there, and and what is sad is you know it it's there it's it's there for whoever is there or wants to use it, and and it's a matter of are we going to become are we going to get to a place in time where we understand that it's meant for everyone? It's not exclusive. It's meant for everyone. Those spots. Well, it's like it's 
it's like geothermal, you know, um, uh-huh. energy that's coming out of the earth, right? And sometimes those are positive, sometimes those are negative ions, right? So it's like, it's not a good or bad thing. It's just different energy. It's different. It's, it's real. It's what it is, just how you explain it. But there are different properties to it. And those different properties might make us feel differently, right? We might feel really light and uplifted in one spot, and another spot might give us a headache, for example. So it's like these different energies work through the earth, and, and we, we come from a culture, ancient culture, that had master abilities to understand these mm-hmm. outlets of earth energy, right? And how they work and how the cycles were. And they were in tuned with the weather and they were in tuned with the animals and they were in tuned with keeping their environment clean. We have become a disgustingly contaminated planet. We, we are not leaving behind pyramids. We're leaving behind garbage patches in the oceans. We're killing ocean life with our policies, with our oil, our fossil fuels. There's so many things that we're doing, allowing to happen that are not in line with the way our originators were at, right? So they were working in a completely different paradigm. Our paradigm now is, well, we can all think it, we can all feel it, we can all meditate on it, we can all share it on Facebook, we can all have meetings and meditations and go on trips and go do these things and sort of, but we still come back to the same culture at the end of that. Mm-hmm. We still have Walmarts and we still have GMOs and we still have vaccines and we still have all this stuff that we haven't made right yet. And until we make these things right, the earth is going to just continue on. We're the ones that are going to be dying off. The earth is just too powerful of a being itself, and it regenerates, and it always intervenes. So oh, yeah, there has been climate change. There have been five mass extinction yes. um, episodes with the earth already. So, you know, it shook itself off, it, it got rid of everything, and life started again. So it, it's a matter of are we, going to, are, are we going to make choices that enable us to stay here, or are we going to get shaken off and, and the earth will just go back and, and say, okay, let's start with a single cell and see where you go now. Um, <laughs> well, in the meantime, we should just have fun and do what we love. Because yeah. if the Earth, we're, we're approaching the sixth extinction part. There's a lot of scientific fact about that, that we're yeah. overdue for a massive extinction event. And if you watch the Ring of Fire and the, the volcano eruptions in Hawaii and the strange weather going on, a lot of people will say that's man-made or that's coming from HARP or things of that sort, which it could be. But, the, but, the, but the, at the end of the day, Mother Nature is much better at keeping balance than we are. And we've oh, yeah. proven. So she's going she's gonna to wake up and she's going to switch and the poles are going to switch and, and the sea ice is going to melt because it's cyclic. And, of uh-huh. course, we're adding to this. We're adding to it by, by way of being completely mindless when it comes to uh, respecting the balance of the ecology that we have. It's so sensitive. We have animals that are becoming extinct that shouldn't be. We have oceans that are becoming contaminated and lifeless, and they shouldn't be. But at the, at the end of this cycle, 
everything switches and rejuvenates, and she's not on our time frame. She's not on our 100 life year spans, right? (laughs) She's She's on eons and eons of ages spinning through this cosmic soup that we're in, going through their bigger, bigger cycles, and we're we're not in tune with that anymore. We it's lost knowledge, really. The the, yeah. the way that our ancient cultures existed with the stars and the planets and acknowledgement of of life on other places and here, um, we don't have that same kind of thing. We we've, we've gone from praying in temples, building pyramids to building WalMarts. Think about that for a second. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Think about that for a second. Okay, what are we going to be known for, really? So it's, it's, it's a matter of perspective, but it's also a matter of let's be realistic about this. I, I think what happens, too, is, is people have this cellular memory of the richness and meaningful life that that was. I believe in genetic memory, and I believe that we hold the memories of every single ancestor that's come before us. And, and, and wherever we're at, and our kids will carry ours, and, and the genetic memories can come out in very, very specific ways. It's, it's almost like a psychic architecture. And uh, we, it's, a, it's a phenomenal human ability to be able to tap into that and to bring that forward. And, and regression can help that. Meditation helps that. All kinds of things help that. Synchronicity helps it. You know, if you're open to it, you can find your way to these memories. And what, what happens is we feel this depth, and it doesn't match what we have in our life. We don't have that depth. How many people live in a neighborhood where you don't even know your neighbors? Oh, yeah. not community. You know, community was the tribe. Community was, uh, you know, the, the people were taking care of each other. You can see that very clearly in the Native American, the indigenous cultures. They still have that sense of community, and we don't have that. We, we've lost that in these cities. We've lost that in ways that are, you know, really – really deep, meaningful community connections that have a cosmology attached to it. We, well, you know, we I, are almost different species, really. Oh, yeah, no, I know. I agree. And I think one of the things that has bothered me on and off for the last decade or so, you know, we have our, our antiquity, our, our pyramids that go back 2,000, 4,000 years and things like that. And I, and I look around and I think, okay, in another 2,000 years, what will my generation have left that will be enduring enough to live or exist for 5,000 years? And I see nothing. Mount Rushmore you know, maybe the only thing that will be left of this particular generation. And that's really kind of sad. No, just because we put it in stone. I mean, like anything that's been put into stone will be here, right? I mean, hopefully the temples, there's temples, beautiful temples in other parts of the world Uh that are, are relatively new or ancient, old, medium, in between, somewhere. I mean, we have it here. We just don't know it. That's why Marie and I are doing this tour, because you, you, we need to come back to the reality of our ancient roots here in the United States. We need to stop pretending we're a young, you know, toddler-like country who just runs around and beats up other countries, and we're the invaders, and we're the bullies, and we go around with all the technology <laughs> and wipe out everybody, right? Well, 
that's not really who we are. That's who we think we are. It's just like a spiritual journey on, on a smaller scale. It's like America as a person needs to go back and have some regression. <laughs> America as a person needs to have some some therapy, and America needs to go through <laughs> a healing process. And, it, you know, think about what's been layered on on top of that. We have racial differences that come from racial wounds that are stirred up and triggered every time some political party needs to create social chaos so that they can have their laws passed. And it, we just have this really strange layered effect of different woundage. We have the Native American woundage. We have the, the African-American woundage. We have all of these different things. The women here are not treated like goddesses. A lot of them are just treated like specimens. And so we have to, we have to take a look at the realities of the healing process for America as a person, right? What does oh, America yeah. as a person need to heal? Well, roots come up for me. The first thing I see when I see America is damaged roots, and the roots need to be healed. And the only thing that's going to heal those roots, like with, with a healing process for a person, is time, acknowledgement, the ability to, to be truthful and see things clearly and not get caught up in, in the story itself, right? So when America goes through the healing process, which, which you know, is not going to just happen overnight, it's not going to just happen because one or two people want it to happen, it's going to have to be an individual, every American is like the cell of this entity of America. So every American has to go through the, the finding their roots. Who are they? Okay, who, who are you as an American? If you're Native American and you're an American person, you, you can't not acknowledge your heritage as a Native American, right? But if you do, then you're going to end up getting, you know, in a lot of different situations. They're going to just trip you up and make you constantly circle back to having to look at who you really are, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. So It does. Yeah. I think America is going through a massive transformation, and the leadership that we have right now, whether you like him <laughs> or not, really, it doesn't matter, because whether you like him or not, he is standing up for things that no other president has stand up for. And you just cannot deny that. Whether you believe, whether you like it or not, it doesn't matter. You have to acknowledge the fact that he is doing things differently than all other presidents have done. He is stirring more feathers. He's he's stirring more feathers, and he is creating more problems in places because he's bringing an energy and he's showing up, and he's not doing it the way it used to be done. And it's throwing people for a loop, and they're doing everything in their power to create an image and to over-exaggerate certain things, and, and I really see that very clearly because I'm not attached to it either way. Trump is in office. He's here. He, he's the president. Every, people voted him in. I have my own theories on how he got in, and I don't think that, you know, we'd be any better off with Hillary Clinton. In fact, we'd oh, probably be at war someplace, okay, because oh, her, her vote was all about going off into – some other country. I mean, I just think we'd be following the same things. You know, interestingly enough, Barbara, when you think about the odds of being president, you know, kids are told, oh, you can be anything in the whole world. You know, you can grow up and be anything. You can even be president. But when you have families that have more than one term of presidential serving, like the Bushes, right, or the Clintons, mm-hmm. you have 
what are the odds that a family has more than one president in the family? This is, this is almost like a kingdom. And oh, yeah. Trump has come in and turned around the kingdom, and he's, he's ruffled a lot of feathers. He's pissed a lot of people off. He's taken on mainstream media. He's outright practically destroyed CNN. That's a massive major news outlet. If you watch mm-hmm. that now, all they do is bad talk him. And, and you have just this constant witch hunt of stuff. I don't agree with everything he does. I'm not saying he's a good person or a bad person. I'm just saying that you have to look at the realities of the propaganda going on around us. Obama made it legal for propaganda to be used on American citizens. These unhealed American citizens who haven't gone through their root healing process, right? And they're very susceptible to it. They're susceptible oh, yeah. to the delusion of what they're told, and they believe it, but not the ones who have gone through their awakening. The ones who have gone through their awakening have, have opened up their eyes to the realities of leadership in this country, and they see the corporations and the justice systems and all the different entities combined and how they support each other and how they really don't work for the average person. Right. So there's been a lot of wake up over the last decade. There's been wake up on the, the levels of consumerism that we we have to be accountable for, on the mistreatment of the land that we have to be accountable for. Nobody wants to buy our GMO products around the world because they cause disease. Oh, They're yeah. banned in 64 countries. Why the heck would I want to buy a bunch of GMO soybeans that are going to turn my citizens into sick people? Because that's what it does. It causes illness and disease. And if you say that, the food companies can come after and sue you because our justice system is set up that way. So we have this really very tangible, real infrastructure that enables this kind of abusive situation on our people and our land. And when people start to talk about it, well, you know, you, you know sometimes you get no exposure because your reach is cut off because we are – we have to uh, face the fact that, you know, we're also digitally susceptible to that. Censorship that happens because of that our digital life is very real, and it's becoming more and more uh, obvious. And oh, so oh, yeah, I've, I've this... ex- I experienced that. Google got angry at me and put me in timeout. Well, I mean, at the hell with Google, because he's, see here, now, this is something you may not know, and somebody listening may not know this either. Google only accesses 4% of total information. The rest of it's in the deep web. I learned all of this back in 2015, and it just blew my mind. And I started talking about it on the air. Anybody I could get to have a conversation with me about it was on my show. I was just floored by this. The rest of the information is in the deep web where, you, yes, you have some bad things that are going on, but you also have the academic storages. You have things, go, you have things there. That, the information is stored there. And, uh, you know, so when you Google something, you ask Google a question, which everybody does know, like it's a goat, Google is God. And you say to Google, what's this God? And Google gives you a magical answer. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. And then it's just believed. It's believed to be true. I mean, it's like an oracle without the wisdom. I mean, it's, it's like 4% of, of wisdom is accessed through Google, right? So when you take something as truth, but it's only based on 4% of information, how can that possibly be 
all there is to it. Yeah, that's it's just a it's frightening and and this is something that is in your book as well. I just I want to get back to your book a little bit because you cover such magnificent topics, you know, from Bitcom to gosh, General Corzo to um Oh gosh, um, for 1947. For I mean, you know, you you've hit so many different areas, and and as I said at the beginning of the show, it's timeless material. But it gives you, it helps you to have a greater understanding and foundation of what's been going on around you. It's kind, of, it's a wake up call. It's it's a wake up call. Well, this didn't on, happen on, overnight. I mean, our situation yeah. didn't happen overnight, right? Oh, I traced it all no. back to 9-11 even because 9-11 changed mm-hmm. everything. 9-11 changed privacy laws. If you read my chapter with Chad Marlowe, who's the head counsel for data privacy for the ACLU, you'll, you'll, mm-hmm. you'll be stunned at what he reveals in that chapter. If you go oh, yeah. on to Stuart Trustee, who is uh, the CEO of worldbit.com, and you read through about Bitcoin and the beginnings of Bitcoin and how blockchain technology has come into the picture and is offering everything the ability that can be, you know, anything that can be ledgered can be blockchained. And as you go through the realities of cryptocurrency and the realities of the digital age and how it's being sold as a convenient, beautiful thing, you know, how much faster does your internet really need to be in order for you to lose all of your privacy rights? I mean, how fast do you really have to Google anything with a 4% information and then say, Oh, you know, and I know instantly we we live, we've become an instant gratification, uh, worshiping culture. So what does that do for human emotion? Well, I want love right now, right? (laughs) You know, you go on a date, you want to go on a first date with somebody. I want to be in love right now. Let's get married. They run away. But it's like yeah. the instant gratification thing really has gotten so out of control that people don't, don't even like to wait a few seconds. I mean, I had some person at one of my book signings say to me, point blank, oh, I don't read books anymore. Oh, and he was a young gentleman. You know, it's just it's just matter of fact. I don't read books anymore. Is there like a YouTube video I can watch on it? No. Yeah. You have to read this. It's the whole point. You know, I did I did the audio version. This Kindle version, you can download it. No, he didn't read. And this is this is what's happening. This is what's happening to our younger generations. This is what this is the progression of the evolution of the digital age. It's we are horrifying. watching people. It's, well, it's horrifying, but it's also fascinating because if you really look at it and you look at it from a very you know, objective standpoint, you can see something brilliant that's happened. And the brilliancy of like the 5D technology and going into the, the, the new realms, the places we're really going, which you really have to worry about, is what, is, what are these new waves of, of technology, meaning like the 5D towers that are taking over the old towers that were bad enough to live underneath, right, or mm-hmm. next to? Now you have these gigantic towers going in by companies that are private corporations. So they don't have to get funding from the government. They don't have to, they don't have to do any of this stuff. They come in, they build this infrastructure that we're all dependent on now, how many, how many jobs exist without an Internet connection? How many people have any kind of social life without an Internet connection now? 
right? So we've become so dependent on the infrastructure that now the improvements on the infrastructure are going to be miraculous. Your home will be smart. You can, your home will know when you're out of toilet paper. What a fantastic thing, okay? You're out of milk. Yeah, right. Oh, my God, that's fantastic. My, my fridge just told me I'm out of milk. I'll pay $5,000 for it, right? People have to wake up. This is not about, you know, you're out of toilet paper, you need to order groceries. I mean, how much of it is that versus surveillance or tracking yeah. or the other the dark side of that? The dark side of that is something we don't talk about. We just go rah, rah, rah because it's convenient and it's something that's sold to us as the modern trend. Everybody's going to do it. Everybody's got a cell phone now, Right. Well, now your cell phone can be used as a wallet because you can pay with your cell phone. Now your cell phone is your, is your calendar and your to-do list and has all your contacts, and you'll know when Jimmy's birthday is coming up or Grandma has to go to the doctor or whatever the things are that go on in your life, and you can keep it all right there. How many people actually walk away from their phones for more than a few minutes? It's attached to their hip. Literally. So the frequency yeah. that's admitted from the phones, the frequency that goes into our bodies have been proven to cause cancer, have been proven to cause health issues. And now we have this 5D technology coming in and it's new. It's going to be really big when it starts to roll out in full force. And the, mil it's, it, the wavelengths that come off of the 5D poles and, and, and the stuff that, that holds all the signals is much more dangerous to the human body and living life systems than what has been in the past. And oh, what has yeah. been in the past has been dangerous enough. So, so this might sound all scary and, and yuck and, and let's go stick our heads in the sand or cry, right? But we have to remember that the way out of this is you're, you're not obligated to be connected. You don't have to no. walk around with your cell phone. You and, can and, go you out know, into just, nature and leave everything in the house, right? Be, be aware and be informed. Absolutely. You have to know what's going on. You have to understand why you're not feeling well. Well, they just put a new phone thing up or, you know, down the block, right? And all of a sudden you don't feel well. Your energy is disrupted. You're not sleeping right. You know, you don't quite feel yourself. Well, you know, then you go through all your checklists of, of self-care and, you, you, you know, am I getting enough water, am I enough protein, all that stuff, right? Yes, yes, yes. Well, then what is it? Well, maybe it's the new receiver in your living room. Maybe it's the new pole up on the street, down the street. You know, we, we have to be considerate of the things that are going on around us because they do affect us. And oh if we're God, not yes. aware of what's going on or we're not aware of what their potentials are, we need to educate ourselves. We need to educate others. We need to tell people, yeah, you don't want to eat the food that's grown under those. I, I live no. in an area where we have an apple. We have a commercial apple orchard underneath these gigantic new 5D poles they've just put in through the valley. And every time I drive near these poles, I, I look at the people going in to pick these apples underneath these poles, and I think to myself, why would anybody in their right mind go in and eat that food that's grown well, under these yeah. huge poles of radiation? They don't know. Cause I, if they knew, I, on they that note, <laughs> I just noticed we are out of time. Um, I could talk to you forever. Um, <laughs> I, I, I refer everybody to your website. It's HillaryRamo.com. 
Um, the book is Hillary Ramo, the show, trans, uh, show transcripts. Please, please, please get a copy of it and read it. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. You'll be enlightened. You'll be excited. You'll be depressed, but but you'll be informed. <laughs> Hillary, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for having me, Barbara. This has been a fun conversation. I hope everybody's enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. I have. Good night now. <laughs>